Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. day of the year. Bring it on. How many of you are, bring it on. How many of you are like, here comes another year. <laughs> there's that too. And, and it's all real, depending on your perspective and what last year might have been like for you. 2018, doesn't that sound like we're almost at 2020. That sounds like the Jetsons or something like that. <clears throat> I mean, huh? I'm wait. Yeah, I was born in 1973, which I was still pretty young at the turn of the century. But 2020 sounds so futuristic. It's like, where's the button you push and your food comes out of the ready-made oven thing, and we're and we have cars that sound like. <laughs> Flying on, huh? And robot dogs, yeah. I mean, that's what it feels. Twenty. My my oldest will graduate high school in 2020. I don't know. I'm I'm just having a moment, I guess. 2020. It's only 2018. We got two more years, so let's. uh, But so, how was 2017 for you? Better than 16. Better than 16. Good. Yeah. It was, it was a bit of a speed bump for me. I, some of you don't know, I ruptured my right Achilles tendon, which is a complete tear. And I'm about five months into the uh, recovery, so I feel like I got behind the eight ball on some things, but, you know, we just keep moving forward. How many of you had some things that you didn't expect to happen in 2017? And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. And you maybe, maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of reset, and, and it's like, you know what? Thank goodness that God forgives, you know, and that his mercies are new every morning, and that his life in us is continually, continually leading us and guiding us into truth, you know, that he's kind, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, leads us to change our mind, leads us to... To, to drop the stuff that was holding us back and, and move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a cliche. Um, so 2018, what does 2018 look like for you in your mind? What do you want to see happen? Forgiveness. Not a replay of 2017. <laughs> but what areas of your life do you want to see progress? All of them. <clears throat> all of them. <laughs> Me too. All of them. You know, this series I'm calling Move, Move Forward, but I do want to get specific, you know, whether you're a goal setter, it's so funny. People are, we're so weird, aren't we? People are just weird. It's like, I don't set goals. Okay. I don't do resolutions. Okay. I mean, you just won't, I'm not saying you should, but people are so dogmatic about what they don't do at the beginning of the year. It's like, well, then don't do it. But I, get, but I bet you got some things that you want to improve in your life. <laughs> What's your plan? What is your plan, right? And that's where we're, we're I won't, hang on one second. That's where we're going to get to at the end of this series is what's your plan? You know, let's identify some areas that you want to see. And I'm not talking about being a better person or all the stuff that you want to quit or you know, all your financial goals, although those are valid and relevant and, you know, we want to <laughs> increase in every single area. But at the end of the day, sometimes we get just shot out, you know, like a pinball machine and we just bounce around with no plan and we just react and we're not intentional about anything. I want this series to help you refine some, some things so that you're intentional in some areas. So 2018, anybody want to be bold and you've already decided this year I'm moving forward in this area? You, it's hearing God ministering to people. Was that what you were going to say? How did I know that? Yeah. I'm so spiritual. Anybody else want to throw it out there? Yeah. Finding my platform. Finding your platform. I like that. He's got one for you. Anybody else? 
just the simple specific area? You should be thinking. What I would love to be able to do for you this, this year is, you know, I love what I get to do. And I love the fact that I know that you, you need me, Clint, about as much as you need another hole in your head. It's true. What you need is Jesus. And that's what I'm going to do is point you to him. But what I love to get to do for you is dismantle all of this religious stuff that you have built up in your mind that is an idol between you and your relationship with God and your future. I mean, we filter so much of our lives and our journey and our call and our walk with God through all this religious junk that just needs to be dismantled and burned that, that God hates anyway, that the entire New Testament was written to refocus people back on Jesus. And, and it's, there's so much that you cannot teach about Christianity. Like, we think Christianity is completely expressed in the Bible. And it's like, it's all about the book, and it's all about the Bible, and that's it. It's the perfect, the perfect has come, and if you know it, and the better that you know it, the better kind of Christian you are. And I would never invalidate the strength and the, the, the importance of the Word of God, but until you actually have that Word living in you, like it's more than just letters on a page, it actually testifies of a person, and it changes your life, I don't care what you know. I don't care if you can quote the Bible from Genesis to maps. <laughs> What's, what's your life look like? And the only real fruit that lasts is him abiding within you. And you don't perform your way into that. It's a, it's, a, it's, a re, it's a response to his love for you. And that's where we're going, you know? We're, we're going into this year. For me, you know, like the sign above the door here. Did you guys read that? Make sure you read that. Um, Travis and Blake made them. Don't you appreciate the decorations, the, the little table and everything out there? Unfortunately, Blake's at home sick with a little one, but uh, Travis and Blake are beautifying the place. They got some more signs. They're making some signs where you can actually know where you are in the building. If you've never been here, it's like there's point you. But anyway, there's a sign above the door, Colossians 3.1, and it's essentially this, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you even said that this morning, Caitlin, was that's, what, that's the way I want to live 2018, with my mind and my heart stayed on him. Not in a place where I'm trying to discern messages from him or trying to be supernatural or anything like that, but that I am raising the expectation of my reality to match where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't want to define my life by what I've been through and what I'm feeling in my body or the lack that I see. I, I want my expectation to be fully painted by the image of Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. And what does that mean for me? And what does that mean that I'm in Him experiencing that? Because so much about transformation is focused on where you go with your thoughts, where you go in your mind, what you do with that word that you know. Not just that you know it. I don't care if you know it. The devil knows the Bible better than you do. <laughs> as much as you think you might know. Honestly, I, I think you really only fulfill your call when you're not ever even thinking about trying to fulfill your call. <laughs> you're just naturally living out of this spirit-guided relationship that you have with God, and you're not worried about if you're hearing him accurately, <clears throat> you are just living out a sense of purpose and identity with him. And you're so, you know, that, that's where transformation comes from. That's where fruit comes from. That's where obedience comes from, is this relationship, this, this intimacy that you have with him, this, this illumination of the word that you know that is in your heart that he will, he will reach down in there because you've put it in there and pull it up and show you how to live that out. And, you know, honestly, I feel like it should be you turn around and you realize, oh, 
that's what that looks like rather than I'm going to do be spiritual, you know. And, and it's just, we make it too systematic rather than a natural expression of this recreated identity that we actually live within. And that's what you can't teach. Nobody can teach you that. It's just, it's discovered between you and the Spirit. It's an intuitive process. Your, your, your whole makeup as a human being <clears throat> is even geared to be more intuitive than you are intellectual. Yeah. I mean, your thoughts about 95% of the time as you live throughout your day arise out of your subconscious and the deep-seated deep beliefs that you have more so than your mind. I mean, you are thinking with your deeper inner man about 95% of the time, and you just make these decisions out of the habits that you have or the beliefs that you have or the self-image that you have, and then for about 5% of the time, you process it because you got to know where to turn, you know, you got to cook and things like that, but it's like mostly you just live out of your deep inner man. And that's what we want to spend. That's why, you know, I, I just want to nurture the deeper part of you and help you understand how to let God minister to you in that area because that's where real lasting change comes from. And then all, everything arises and births out of that. But I wanted to start this year off in this series off just focused on hope. You know, as Jim said earlier, when you look at the definition, there's several different words that are translated as hope. The, the, most sim the simplest definition of hope is joyful and confident expectation. I mean, that's pretty much what hope is, you know. Hope is not confused. You know, it's like, I wonder if they're going to, well, I hope so. <laughs> no, that's not hope. Hope is confident it's joyful. Hope is not afraid. Hope is realistic and it's rational, but not based on this world. It's realistic and rational based on God's reality. The realism that is within hope has to come from the highest uh, possibility, which is our life with God, right? That's why he's constantly saying, set your mind, set your heart. I mean, God expects perfection. You can't do it, so he took care of your relationship so that you would be safe in him, but he still wants to inspire you to live to that standard, to that, that type of existence. It's just that if you fall, he doesn't cut you off any longer. Your sin no longer separates you from him. Does that mean it's okay to sin? Thank you. It still kills it still hardens your heart. It may send you to an early grave, but it's never okay. But sin is no longer the issue between you and God any longer. It's how, how confident are you in what he has done. So hope. Let's look at a few scriptures here. You ready back there? Psalm, and so I'm going to read three, I think, I think, yeah, the three scriptures here and just see what you notice about hope. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. Next one, Psalm 38, 15. For in you, O Lord, do I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. The next one, Psalm 42, 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. What'd you notice? Hope's in God. Not in anything else. Hope, the joyful, confident expectation, the only legal right you have to hope in anything is in God. When you place your hope, your confident expectation in an outcome, you might be disappointed. In fact, you will be disappointed. Now, we have to be able to differentiate between hope and wants and desires. It's okay to want stuff, as long as it's not a, this expectation of the fulfillment of God's promise to you, per se. And, and, and this is a paradox, because he's given us great and precious promises so that we could be a partaker of his divine nature. 
All of his promises are yes and amen. He says all things are possible to those who believe. I mean, he sets this standard of like, you can have in your life that, is, that Jesus paid for as much as you can believe for. It's like all things are possible. In according to the word, you know, we're not trying to say you get to just make stuff up. It's all in agreement with what the word promises, which is still a lot. Anything that you would ever want or need, really, wrapped up in the word. But where's the hope? How many of you have ever been disappointed because your hope is in an outcome? Adam and I were talking this morning. I think he would probably share about that. You know, it, it happens. You, you, you want something so bad. You, have you ever done this? It's like you attach whether or not God is faithful to a specific outcome. Now, forget about Adam. I'm not trying. He's no, he's no longer the illustration. Don't put this on him now. <laughs> you can release him from this. I've done it, right? It's like, okay, God, if you really love me, you'll do this. You may not have said it that way, but you've believed that way. Or, God, this hasn't happened. I don't know if you really keep your word or not. We put God on trial all the time based on our circumstances. If it causes us to doubt when it doesn't happen, then our confidence was in that thing. See, what I'm, the point is this. Your hope is in the Lord. So who is the Lord? God, right? But what do you know about who God is? The point being, he's given us all these names of his traits and characteristics of who we can legally expect him to be in our lives. So you can have hope and a joyful, confident expectation that in every area of your life, there's a facet of who God has revealed himself to be, to be that in that situation for you. So it's a paradox, right? It's like, okay, I can trust that God will be my deliverer because he told me that he's a deliverer and he's trustworthy and he wants me to put my hope in him and he's a deliverer. He is a provider. I will put my trust in him and his character is provision. His character is safety. His character is protection. His character is wisdom. But the moment it varies off of him to a specific outcome, you might want a specific outcome, but where's the difference, right? And I don't have a button to put on that or a bow to put on that to show you this is the difference every time. Like, here's the law. Here's the rule of how to tell the difference between hope and want. Look, I got poinsettia stuff on my finger. <laughs> Would you like the rule of how to di distinguish between hope and want? Who wants that rule? God will show it to you. He'll, you know, you'll... And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to trick you. Maybe, maybe I was trying to trick you. But it's like, quit waiting for people to tell you how to be a Christian. It's like, oh, that one's got it all figured out. Let's go to his class. I believe in training, absolutely. That's one of my goals for this year is, the, is curriculum, discipleship curriculum. It can be used here and abroad. And that, that is one of my goals and focuses, and I've got an outline, and I'm moving in that direction. So I believe in training. But in, in, unless your hope is in that training, right? It's like, well, I lack this. I think, okay, so I see that God wants me to be this kind of way as a Christian. This course will teach me how to be that way. I'm putting my hope in this course. I took that course. I still do this. What happened? God, you didn't come through. Oh, really? Yeah, he's asking me if I have bugs in his house. Listening devices. I, I've, had, I've had several people tell me that. This was dinner last night. Okay. Yeah. That means you're in the right place. I don't know what they say. Here's a big one, right? Let's keep going because I want to... Here's, here's a reason why you can hope in God. Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of you know this. Some of you, this is like one of your favorite verses. Now, this is in the midst of God making a promise to Israel of deliverance. But if it's a trait of God's character 
Because I was challenged one time. I've got this book that's, you know, God says yes to 3,000 promises, and then we associate that with uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. All his promises are yes and amen. And some people are like, you're telling me that every promise that God ever made in the Bible is for you personally in context? It's like, well, let me qualify that. If Jesus paid for me to have it, and it's an element of the trait of the character of God, absolutely it's for me. God is not a respecter of persons, and he will always be who he is. See, that's really, if, if, I, if I could implant anything into the body of Christ in our faith journey with God, it would be that we actually believe God is who he says that he is. I mean, so much is cleared up in that. This is who God says he is. This is who I have the right to expect him to be. And if I'm not experiencing that trait, it's not on his end withholding an aspect of his nature from me. It's me not connecting and letting that fruit be birthed and born within me. It's not because you got a bad heart or you did something wrong. You know, that's where we get out the scalpel and we start to try to analyze ourselves. It's like, no, you know what? I'm just going to be more confident in who he is. That's how I'm going to solve this issue. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to judge this person. I'm going to be more confident in who he, he is. I'm telling you, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you're, the, the data that you have to pull from to renew your mind, to experience that transformation, is who God is. I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's a deep work that has to happen within you. Jeremiah 29 for I know the plans that I have for you, declares God, plans to prosper you. Who wants to prosper in 2018? Oh, this is one of them prosperity message churches. I don't know. We, we have a Google review on, the, on Google that we're prosperity gospel. <laughs> plans to prosper you. I mean, you know, that might not necessarily mean Bugattis and mansions and your fifth house. You know what I mean? It's a hard issue. I mean, I want God to prosper me so I can be a blessing. I love to give. Why do you want God to... What do you think it looks like to be prosperous? You know what I mean? Because that's the issue. People have problems. When people object, it's a reflection of what's in their own heart. Hello. You talking to me? Oh. I didn't hear what you said. When you prosper, you have peace and joy. When you're prosperous, you've got somebody or a means to fix that. But your peace is intact. Your joy is who you are. That's right. That is prosperity. And it's a bunch of money, too. That's part of it. It just is, so that you can be a blessing. I mean, it, you know, what did God do when he led the, Egypt, the, the Israelites out of Egypt? Gave them more gold than they could carry. We, we, we don't pursue that stuff. You, you, you pursue glorifying God. And if he needs to get massive amounts of wealth through you based on what he wants to do, who am I to get in the way? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. God, God has plans to give you hope. God, right now, in this moment, is strategizing how to lead you into places in your life where you can confidently and joyfully expect him to be who he is in your life. I like to look at what it doesn't say as well. It doesn't say he, let's keep going. Plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, well, I, I, did I miss that part? 11, 11 again, I have plans. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Did I skip that? Not to harm you. God does not have plans to harm you. God's plans do not include harming you. 
in any way, shape, or form. Well, you know, but he's, got, he's going to allow that. I mean, if you believe that God is somehow allowing harm into your life to accomplish his purposes, we need to talk. You have a skewed view of who God is that is birthed only, only religious people believe that stuff. It's a misunderstanding of who God is. It's got to be about the finished work of the cross. I just want you to think about that. He does not have plans to harm you. Well, this thing that's in my life that's like I lost my job or, you know, cancer's back for the fifth time or somebody else in my life is really struggling with this difficulty. I somehow God, way, no. The good stuff comes from God. James 1. Man, I can just feel it. I can, you can tell. You can feel it. It's hard for people to receive that. Well, I tell you what, I, well, let's keep going here. <laughs> then you'll call on me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is huge. One of the reasons you're not finding what you're seeking in God is because it's not with all your heart. What are you saying? That's another thing for the Holy Spirit to teach you. I'm not saying you don't have enough faith. I'm not saying you're a good enough. You're not a good enough Christian. I'm saying, in your heart, the the heart is the inner man, that part that God strengthens, the part that Galatians three says that He strengthens you in your inner man. If there's an element of the character of God, especially that Jesus paid for, that you're not experiencing, it's because there's an element of your heart that is not convinced of who he is. Now, to some people, that is like, I don't really get that. But when you see it, you realize, okay, because it's true that as you see him, you are made like him. And if I see this element of who God is and I understand my place in him, that becomes a reality within me. And I begin to reflect who he is in me. You know, if you have this repetitive sin or this repetitive failure, it's not because you are by nature a sinner. It's because in your inner man, you have not embraced your new identity in that area. You still think you're the old you. You're still giving CPR to that dead man that was buried with Jesus. You think you are that thing. You are not that dead man. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you will conquer that thing because the life of Christ is in you. And to the degree that you understand who he is in you, you will walk above the power of that and the lure of that thing until you look back and you're like, like, like we're going to say about the devil when we cross into eternity. That, that is what was so strong in my life. John 10, 10. This is, these are reasons why you can have hope in God. He's got good plans for you. They aren't plans to harm you. They're plans to be a blessing to you. John 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to kill or for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who destroys? The thief. Don't ever attribute destruction in your life in any shape or form to God. I am come that they might have life. You know, he didn't have to say these kinds of things, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus did not have to say these kinds of things. He could have just said, I'm dying for you. The door is open to heaven. Hope you make it. I mean, really, think about it. He didn't have to say it, but he, but he, but he did. Look, I didn't come for destruction in your life. I didn't come for theft. I didn't come for things to be taken away. I didn't come for you to be robbed. I came so that you'd have life. That is why you can have hope in God. He wants life for you. Well, but I don't know, but, you know, I might, well, see, when I had cancer for the fifth time, I really, then I really trusted God. And I'm really not trying to make light of that because that's a very serious issue. But it's like, did it really take that? Did God do that so that you would trust him? He 
He comes that we might have life and that more abundantly. Here's a big issue, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is where a lot of us live because we know that we have the right as believers to hope in God, to be God in our lives. But then when we don't see those elements and those aspects and those character traits and those promises of God and the fruit that we know that we should walk in, we don't see that stuff in our lives, our heart becomes sick. Your heart, your inner man, right? How many had the crud going on this year? Like you got the flu or something this year? What do you feel like when you're doing when you're sick? Nothing. You just want to lay there and just feel sorry for yourself, don't you? You might even want other people to feel sorry for you. <laughs> my, my household doesn't tolerate sickness very well. It's almost like if people get irritated, you're sick? No, my wife is very loving and caring and kind. She nursed me back to health through this whole ankle ordeal. But it's like, it shouldn't be there. It's like it's irritating when it's in the house. Because it just shouldn't be there. I don't think God designed sickness. But what do you want to do when you're sick? You don't want to do nothing. You just want to lay there. And just you just, you, you embrace every cough, don't you? It's like, oh, oh, oh I feel so bad. And, and it's like, so what happens is when you have a hope and an expectation and it does not come to pass, it makes your heart sick. That inner man on the inside is, <laughs> you know, imagine, you know, your inner man, you're sitting there with a the thermometer, you got 14 <laughs> bottles of pill, pills on the table because everybody, well, you got to take silver, well, you got to take osicilicanacinum, and you got to take this, and you got to... <laughs> But, and then you got to take dose up on this, and this, and, and it's like, and so you're sitting there, yeah, the oil and oregano, and it's like that thing will burn your throat. You won't have a throat left, but you drink that stuff, you. Know? <laughs> and you're laying there, and you're sick, and you're you're doing nothing. You're not going to work. You're thinking, oh, you know, you think you might die. On the inside. In our inner man, when hope, legal hope, hope that you have placed in God, that you have the right to expect, when it does not come to pass, you get sick in your inner man. Now, I'm not saying you get unrighteous. I'm just saying the condition of your believer is hindered. You feel bad. You don't want to do anything. You don't even want to try to get up and take a shower. i.e., when you're heart sick, you don't want to try to do what you know you need to do to get better. I don't mean to be a better person. I mean to get your belief back in action again. Here's a big issue, right? This is a big one. When our hope is associated with someone else's transformation. It's painful, isn't it? Don't think that I'm just talking about you because it's a lot of people. When your hope is attached to someone else's transformation, do not let your own heart be troubled. That's what made you sick, worrying about other people. <laughs> Dang. Think about that, though. How many of you have been disappointed because of somebody else's journey? And you start to question and doubt God based on what somebody else is going through. Do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. But I love this person. I get that. God loves him more than you do. Your heart is more important than you becoming heartsick over this person's failures. You... Protect your own heart because you need to be who you are so that other person can look at you and have some hope. <laughs> but I want to leave this point with you. 
Do not attach your hope to someone else's transformation. But God promises that they can be and that I can be happy. Oh, yeah, well, if your happiness is associated with this person's transformation, you're going to be disappointed. Say that again. I wish I could. <laughs> you can. If your happiness is associated with somebody else's transformation, you're going to be disappointed. Now, but it's a paradox. Don't you have the right to expect God to be God for that person? I mean, I'm telling you, it's a question. Well, how come this person got healed and this person didn't get healed? Do you think God is choosing which one he's going to heal and which one he's not going to heal? No. Some people believe that. Some people believe, well, he doesn't heal anybody anyway. You know, those are theological things. That have, there's, you know, you have discussions around that. But if we're just on the page that God wants you, I mean, why would he give you an immune system if he didn't want you well? I mean, just, just physically, just physically, God designed you to be well. Let's just stick with that, okay? Does he heal or not? I don't know. But I know my body's trying to heal. Therefore, I think his character, his intent for humankind is to experience health. We'll just leave it at that, right? Oh, yeah. And then he says, I'm the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you giving life to your physical. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, I didn't forget. I'm just making a point, you know. It's a big deal, though. Think about it. And it's hard because it's like a gigantic arrow has been shot into your heart when someone you love is not experiencing the fruit that you know that they could. What are you going to do with that? Some of you going into 2018 need to make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to take care of my own heart. I'm going to guard my heart because out of the issues, out of my heart, flow every issue of life, even this person that I am joined with in spirit. I cannot let my heart be disrupted by what they're doing. Well, that's easier said than done. It, well, it is. There's no easy way around that. There just isn't. But there is grace. And there is grace that grace is God's divine influence from his very presence that is within you that is strengthening your inner man, that is teaching you, teaching you how to guard your own heart, teaching you how to remain expectant and hopeful in him. And, and it's hard because, you know, you get really wrapped up in where this person is. I mean, you're looking at them. You love them. You want the best for them. You know that God has amazing plans for them too. But where are you going in your own heart with it? It's a big deal, absolutely a big deal, because that's where you start crossing the line of, well, I'm going to compromise because of their condition. And then the next thing you know, you're disappointed, and you're heartsick, and you, have, you begin to question God because of this other person. That person needs you to be confident who you are in him. Amen? Amen. Do not let your heart be troubled because of someone else's condition. I mean, I, you know, I would like to kind of unpack that a little bit, but I just want to just say it definitively and just let the Holy Spirit work on you in that area. It's not that you don't love that person. It's not that you become calloused or hard-hearted toward that person. But you just cannot let somebody else's life affect your relationship with God. You, you just can't do it. It's almost like I'm trying to say more, but he's saying, just leave it. <laughs> so we'll end on this, Psalm 42, 5. This is the progression of how to avoid a sick heart when hope is deferred, when you're feeling the pain, when you're disappointed, when you're depressed. This is the prescription, all right? Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? You stand in the mirror and you look at yourself and you say, what is wrong with you? You know better. 
Why are you letting yourself get down like this? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I, he's talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed? So you, you ask yourself these kinds of questions and you usually come up with the wrong answers. You say, well, it's because I'm worthless or it's because I keep having this failure over and over and over. Or maybe your theology is it's because God needs to knock me down a few notches before I can really experience. You know, it's like take a page out of David's progression who is a man after God's own heart why so disturbed within me? Do you feel disturbed about some things in your life? Are you downcast? I mean, think about this. Put your hope, can you do that? Can you tell yourself, put your hope in God? Can you, can you keep your own counsel? It's pretty easy for you to step into somebody else's face and say, you need to just trust God. <laughs> put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior. This is a prescription. Every word is important. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore, wait a minute, where are we? Yeah, okay, the first part. Therefore, what does it say? What do you do when your soul is downcast? What do you remember? Do you remember why you're justified in feeling downcast, depressed? I mean, think about it. Remember means to re-remember, to rehearse, to hold it in the forefront of your mind and rehearse it and go over it. And you feel those emotions again when you're remembering. It's a re-memory, like those conversations. Here's an interesting thing about memory. Especially the older the memory gets, the more, the more often you recall that memory or every time you recall that memory, you start to lose details of the facts and only remember how it made you feel. So you get to a place where you might even be deluded in your own memories because you don't even remember exactly what happened, but you remember how you felt about it and the decisions that you made about yourself in the midst of those strong emotions. Don't trust your memory. It will lie to you. Remember the Lord. I'm gonna, let me read it again. If I were at home and if I, were, if I were applying this prescription or this instruction to myself, I would do it word by word. Why? And I'd think, okay, why? What does that mean to me? Some of us say, why? Why, God, why? You know, what does why mean? What does why look like for you, okay? So you just kind of sit on why for a minute. Why my soul, all right? And it's almost like you're diagramming this sentence. Okay, we're, we're dealing with my own soul. How important is my soul to me? I'm just, I'm just gonna walk through this. This is where my thoughts go. Why are you downcast? Am I downcast? Am I aware? Am I aware of what's going on in my own soul? In this moment, right now, are you aware of what's going, the condition of your inner man, of your inner world? Why so disturbed within me? Disturbed, that's a, that's a disturbing word, I mean. Why so disturbed? Do I feel disturbed? Put your hope in God. Okay. Am I even, am I even remotely doing that right now? Or am I still camped out on disturbed? Put your hope in God. How do you do that? Ultimately, he gets to the end. I will remember you. Praise, worship. And I don't mean you put loud music on and dance around your house until you bring yourself into a state of endorphins have kicked in and you think you feel better like happens in charismania often. I'm talking about a real shift in your soul. I'm not talking, talking a psychological break from reality or a temporary relief through emotion. I'm talking about where you really dig deep down and you look inside and you, where, 
what's going on in my soul in this moment? I will praise him. My Savior, it's like an identity thing, right? What he's doing here is he's, I'll praise him. Who is he to me? He's my Savior. He is my God. It's a very personal process, right? He's being chased, and people are trying to kill him. I mean, earlier he's complaining, and he's saying, got all these enemies. Where are you? All my enemies are saying, where's your God? Making fun of him. You know, that's kind of where he gets to. And at the end of it, he gets down to this, and he's like, I'm taking responsibility over me, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. Think about it. Just take a second and connect, you know? I know, I know that it, we've had some fun, and I love when people share, and, and it's good. This is community. But, but this is what I want you to walk away with. If your soul is downcast, will you remember God? And you remember that he has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, plan, not plans to harm you, plans to give you hope and an expectant future, Jesus came that you would have life. Those are the things that you remember, right? But can you remember them to the degree that it shifts that downcast soul? Because you are transformed as you renew your mind. We are such materialists that we think we need God to show up and rearrange something when we should be spiritualists in that it's seed time and harvest. We don't need a puppet master. We need a, a gardener that can plant a seed and it will grow into our lives. That is how change happens. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a spiritual process. As you are transformed by this process of renewing of the mind, it will grow into your life and change things. We thank God you need to show up and fix them. Show up and change me. Show up and do something physical. And it's like, no, that physicality in the world is waiting to respond to what's going on inside of you. Put that back up if you would one more time. Remember this. Why are you downcast? So it's like he's stating, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. If you can master this, I'm telling you, you become a master of life. <laughs> Nothing can touch you. I don't care if you are sitting, if you're like John being boiled in oil. If you are in a cage that is sinking underwater like they're doing to Christians in what, Syria or wherever that's happening. If you can do this, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the person that you love is going through. If you remember God, your hope is greater. Your hope is my ultimate reality is where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, not what I'm experiencing in this life. I expect this life to get better. I expect this life to reflect the promises of God. But like the three Hebrew children thrown in the fire, we're not going to bow to you, king. Our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we ain't bowing to the pressures of this life. Last thought, because I just really feel this. You have a sick heart. And, it's a, and, and see, it's not that you can be heart sick in one area and, and like doing great in another area. The heart is multifaceted and the inner man is dynamic like that. But they do affect each other. So don't think that if you have deferred hope or you're downcast in one area that that means your entire world, you know, some of us are black and white. No, it's don't, don't go that far, okay? Don't do that to yourself. Give credit where credit is due. You're doing great in lots of areas. But in this area where you're letting other people's transformation process affect you and make you heart sick, it's time to let that go. There's either an unhealthy dependency, there's some type of an attachment, there's abuse that causes you from your past that has caused you to have be too sympathetic in this area. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not that complicated, but there's a lot of details that could have, be happening of what you're going through. But step back, and you go to this, remember, why are you downcast? 
And I'm not talking about you get introspective where you're self-analyzing and all this kind of stuff. You just, I mean, you know if you're feeling downcast or joyful in your soul. Why are you downcast? What is going on? You know what? I'm going to remember you. Can you do that? Can you take the reality of who God is and what he's done for you and meditate on it inwardly to the degree that it actually causes a shift in your inner world? And that is the beginning. That is, I mean, that is the beginning of transformation. Those are the seeds and the water that you have to cultivate and then just trust that it will grow as you confidently wait and expect for the deposit of the word of God to bear fruit in your life. That's where you need the spirit to manifest self-control and all the fruits of the spirit in your life and patience. You need those kinds of things. Do you know how to depend on the spirit to control yourself? We got some work to do, don't we? <laughs> but, but remember, you are righteous before him. You are complete in him. The eternal aspect of what and who you are is ready for heaven. It's ready to stand before God and no more work needs to be done to you. It, but we still have these souls and these minds and these bodies and these lives for that eternal truth to re be reflected into the rest of our being. Don't walk out of here thinking, oh my gosh, I need to get saved again, you know. <laughs> Why are you downcast? Therefore, I will remember you. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for your, your word that we can nourish ourselves from. We are committed to being disciples of you. We will discipline our lives with your word, and we will not water your word down to the level of our circumstances. We will set our minds and our hearts on things above where Christ is seated with you and ultimately realize and look for that reality that we are in Christ seated with you as well. Father, we yield ourselves, we yield our hearts and our minds to that eternal transformation that has happened within us, that, that, that exchanging of natures where Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. It's a free gift that you've given us. Now we trust and depend on your grace to actually live worthy of that gift, to live squarely within uh, that righteousness that you've given us. God, we don't want these hindrances in our life. We don't want this death and this depression and this downcast soul. We don't want this sin. We don't want these things in our lives. I thank you that you love me. I acknowledge that those things do not separate me from you, but I'm yielding myself to your grace to grow and rise above those things because I'm in you. My reality is seated at, at your right hand. I trust you and I will remember you. Just tell him that. I will remember you. you know, maybe you're in here, you've never said yes to Jesus.